You're listening to The Brand Compass, conversations to navigate your way to building a brand fit for purpose and poised for success. Here's your host, Shelley Rossland. Hello there, my friend, and welcome to the show where we get to chat all about the ways in which your brand meets the humans you serve. I'm Shelley, your host on this conversational journey, and I have a much needed voice joining me today on this episode. When I work with clients or even inside my group program, I talk about two big things. The first, identifying whether you have a proprietary way or method. So are you doing something in a specific way or have a sequence of steps which is bringing about results for your clients? And I also talk about the second thing, finding different ways in which to deliver your value where you can leverage your time better and or improve your profitability. Now, I'm not a fan of the build a course and they will come ethos. In fact, building a course or a program is not an easy journey, but it also doesn't have to be hard. I decided we needed to dig into this on the show so that maybe I can open you up to the benefits of looking at diversifying how to capture and harness your knowledge and ultimately how to deliver it in different ways to your ideal clients. So my guest today is well versed on this and when he and I got to talking about the subject I knew instantly that we were coming from the same angle on this because he and I are really grafters. We are not afraid of the hard work and believe that there needs to be thought and process baked into how you approach this course or program building situation. So let me introduce you to him now and then we can jump straight in. Glenn Long is an online course creation consultant, teacher and mentor. His background is steeped in learning and he gained his experience building successful courses for a well-known online entrepreneur that generated over a million dollars and served more than a thousand paying students. Glenn is an unusual chap in that he also used to work for BBC Comedy Online where he was a script editor and producer working with writers and performers to create viral comedy clips. Got to get into that at some stage. <laughs> Today, he helps business owners create effective and engaging courses which blend seamlessly with their offline services and heightens the value for their ideal clients. His signature program, Build Your Best Course, gives people a paint-by-numbers roadmap for successful course creation together with group coaching and accountability. Glenn is married to Jess. They have one young son called Noah and they live right by the beach in sunny Bournemouth on the south coast of England. And he loves sea swimming, improv comedy, of course, and word puzzles. Welcome, Glenn. <laughs> Hi, Shirley. How are you doing? I'm good. If I could just get my throat to um, work <laughs> with me on this one today. Oh, right. So I'm quite excited to get into this topic with you. So I thought maybe we could start a little bit with, you know, there's, this, there's so much of this online, right? There's so many experts talking about create a course, do it at this price, do it in this shape. I thought it would be really useful for everybody listening today to maybe kind of get the benefit of why, why would you actually build a course? 
why would you use a course or an online curriculum? Can you give a, can you give us a little bit of the benefit insight? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad you started with that sort of healthy cynicism around, <laughs> you know, how easy it is to create a course and how many people should do it. Because I, I feel a little bit sometimes on on the sort of the outlier of that industry quite deliberately. But the, you know, the benefits are real. I think just some of the hype is around, you know, who should do it and how easy it is to get those benefits. But the, the three main ones are impact. So this idea that you can, it's a way to scale your impact. You don't have to be in the room or on the Zoom call to be helping somebody because your course material is like a proxy for you. It's a little digital you out there somewhere doing the the, the, the good work for you. So impact is a great one. Income is the obvious one. I try not to lead with that because that's the one that, that sort of drags maybe quite a few people that perhaps shouldn't create a course into it. But obviously, you create a, a course, you have a digital product you can sell. And that's some uh, another way that you can uh, make income without just relying on your time. And the third one is related to that, which is just you can save time. If you have these digital assets working for you, you're not just totally reliant on your time. So if you want to use that to scale your business, like make more money with the same amount of time, or some people I work with are looking sort of the, the second half of their career and they're looking to maybe semi-retirement, you can scale down what you do, but keep your, your revenue levels the same. So those are the, the three big ones, like the headline benefits. But I also think we can go into it in a little bit, but there's some other sort of hidden ones that people get out of the process, but aren't necessarily what drew them to the idea in the first place. Yeah. And um, you alluded a little bit there as people who should and people who shouldn't. So before I get into the other stuff, like I'm a little bit curious about that. <laughs> who are the people oh. that shouldn't? Who are the people that shouldn't? Is it a mindset or a type of person or a type of industry? I what think is- it's a, it's partly uh i wouldn't say it's mindset necessarily it's it's more about experience i come across a lot of people who are attracted to that headline idea of hey you know turn any passion you might have you know under i joke about it you know underwater basket weaving do that in front of your iphone throw we joke, it up on but think we actually want something. to cry right <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we do want to cry <laughs> because there's so much messaging out there that says, whatever it is, whatever your passion is, let's just go out there and make some money. And I think somebody who perhaps has fallen into that argument might be a, a good candidate for maybe not creating a course. But the litmus test for me is the thing that you want to create a course around and presumably get people to pay for your course around. Is it something that you've been paid to do some other way? So don't teach somebody to, uh, you know, crack the marketing on their business if you haven't really done that you know you you haven't got a track record of being paid to do that for somebody else because what a course does so brilliantly is packages up something you're already good at and already have some results around and makes it easier for you to deliver in a more efficient way it doesn't magic a business or a capability out of nowhere It, it feels a little bit like the dog dot com days there was that period where just saying some putting an e in (laughs) in front of something made it a viable business but of course it's just a a channel really the business still has to be behind there and in the same way with the course the expertise and the capability to deliver results still has to be there the course is just a way of delivering it i like that because the other thing that when we first started chatting about this in our kind of one-to-one of getting to know each other was this element of hybrid and having a hybrid offer. Because as well as trying to get your head around how would you build a course, I think there's also a lot of models and a lot of different experts that have their, you know, their their different ways of the way you should build an online 
business, if you like. But what we're also talking about here for the people that are listening who are subject matter experts, mainly service-based businesses, running micro-businesses. So there's already packing in the element of importance of time, efficiency, profitability, and very limited resources, right? Is that they don't necessarily have to make their whole business an online business, right? So we're, we're talking about a hybrid here. So they could be creating it as one of, are you a Daniel Priestley follower? I can't remember what we said around that. I am, a, yeah, the uh, key person of influence. In fact, I was yeah. on a call with him the other day, not one-to-one, but he was, uh, he's got that I thought you were name-dropping then, uh, Glenn. I was no, about to go, he was randomly what? on a call with someone <laughs> we were just talking about, Darren Smith. But yeah, he was yes. he was promoting his score app. SaaS product. He does. Yeah, Smart Darren guy. does. Yeah, Darren was on the show uh, and he did talk about the score app stuff, which is really important. But I think it's more about and the score app is part of that kind of product ecosystem. That's what I was kind of bringing you to ah, is yep. uh, Daniel Priestley's idea where your profitability is really coming from an ecosystem of services and products as opposed to one particular thing making you all of your revenue or making you all of your money. Do you subscribe to that idea? Do you think there is a place for this hybrid? You don't necessarily have to go all in and just be an online business. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm very much see the benefit of that. And a lot of the people that I've worked with come from that position. In fact, based on what I've said, if you need a you know an existing capability, it's very natural to start to blend digital with that existing capability rather than trying to replace it wholesale. And I think the reason that so much emphasis is put on the totally on-demand, self-guided course is because that's the model that is most likely to give you the the this, you know, the golden goose of the passive income. So that's the model that you can totally package up it's quite it can be challenging to do but that's why the focus is there whereas actually i like the blended model because it's so easy to just start that journey i mean if you do a if you have a coaching package for example and one of the calls on your coaching package is you talk people through you know what values are and how to elicit their own values you probably find that you have a similar kind of conversation at least the front end of that conversation with everybody so why not package just that element up as a as a video as a, as a lesson and then instead of delivering everything live you could say okay we're going to talk about values in our next session check out the video on my simple course platform and you know make some notes do the exercise and we'll talk that through in our next session so literally like one video could be the very starting of a of a hybrid model and then of course you can you do more and more and before you know where you are you perhaps have a 50 50 hybrid sort of solution that's nice i think that's a really accessible way for people to flip their mindset on how on earth do i start or how do i begin because i think they almost feel like they have to stop everything they're doing, set aside all of this loads of time. Wouldn't that be lovely to just go and create something <laughs> magical, you know, and sit with your laptop looking at the ocean while you build a course, which is really, really not the reality you, for 80%. Are people. you sure you don't work for one of the major course platforms? That, I think <laughs> I've seen that, that, that fantasy image I've painted a few times before. I mean, just as I'm going to just share my pain and angst as a grafter doing this. One of the advisors from one of, I don't know if you did any of Amy Porterfield's stuff. I mean, I bought it. I'm certainly some, aware of her in the market. I haven't done her Yeah, course, so she's kind of, I call, I call her second generation OG, right? Because the OGs <laughs> were uh, <laughs> Jeff Walker and, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, the guys awesome. that came before Brendan Bouchard and then Amy and James Wedmore, they came through as the next generation, right? So 
One of the things I did like about some of Amy's early advice, I'm not sure if she still says it today, I'm not terribly sure, was not necessarily to try and build everything and then launch and go, was to almost kind of get the idea first, get the benefit first, you know, start to test your market to find out. This is if you were going to do a course, obviously that's not part of your hybrid, but then build it as you go. It's because all you needed to do was just be a little bit ahead of your students in terms of building. So I was like, right, okay, I'm going to do this. And I did say it did, it did work from my perspective. What I d- hadn't really allowed for was uh, it happened in lockdown. And also right. our neighbor decided to launch a four-month property development um, okay. <laughs> project. Thanks, neighbor. Thanks, neighbor, with heavy drilling, which which then really right. limited my ability to record videos, to record <laughs> audio, and not or, lose or my mind. think. <laughs> I was literally in tears. I was ringing around trying to find people like, where can I record? I feel like I'm insane. So I think there's an element where you do need to think about those things, don't you? In terms of a logistics perspective, because some, you know, if you are going to record, what's your experience? I know we're going a little bit sidetracked here because I'm going into a little bit of practicalities, but what's been your experience in terms of people getting that course up in terms of recording and that, like what kind of equipment on a basic level would you say, don't worry if you've at least got these things for now, you know, just start cracking on. Yeah, I really try and teach to be as pragmatic as possible because you, everything you do is in that first version of your course is an experiment. It's the old, was it no battle plan survives contact with the enemy? Not that, not nice. that your students are the enemy, but, <laughs> but there's no point in having a perfectly lit and edited video. If you find out you're, I don't know, teaching something that your audience mostly already knows or is too far beyond what they need and then you throw it away. It's very disappointing to throw away a video that took you six hours to sort of pull together. So I really try and get people over that hurdle by just saying, look, if you've been on a few Zoom calls and nobody's taken you to one side and tell you, told you that you really need to pull your act together, you've probably got the kit you need to do a really basic course video. So as a real starting point, I just say, use your webcam. I mean, yeah, hopefully get a slightly better mic than just the webcam mic, but other than that, a headset, what we're using, uh, and then record on something like Loom. I'm sure you're familiar with yeah. it, just records in the browser. It hosts the video, so you're not doing all that downloading and then you know compressing and then re-uploading um, a lot of the course platforms these days just allow you to embed those sorts of videos straight away just be super pragmatic because you're not going to get it out there but you will learn so much by getting it out there um, give you a very quick example the first course I put out post working for somebody else I was doing a bunch of videos and I did a few that were really bite-sized like four or five minutes and people loved the fact that they could just once a day get a video watch it over a cup of coffee. And that transformed the way I created the rest of the course. And unfortunately, I learned that in the first week. And you just wouldn't know that until you had put something out there. So don't build it all in your garage and then hope that everybody's going to love everything you do. Do get something out there. Nice. I like that. Because I think that that element of experimenting and getting the feedback is really important. So I think the other other thing that some people might challenge uh, have a challenge around is actually what their topic is going to be or what the thing is that they're going to create the course about. So maybe we could talk a little bit because this is one of my benefits, which I said to you of me actually building my group program was I'm a consultant, right? So while I, I have some structured workbooks that I would have used to go and physically do their in-person stuff with a client and have some prep stuff they do beforehand, and I'd obviously do some stuff 
after the time with a client, what I'd never really done is, you know, that time you're sitting speaking to a client and asking them questions and you go back and forth. All of that knowledge that I impart in those conversations, that was never documented anywhere. My knowledge was right. never documented anywhere. Yeah. I don't know if you found You'll this. You'll probably as... come up with something amazing that you want to use with everybody else and then you forget what you said. You just it's... remember thinking, oh, that was good. Yeah. Well, I'm quite smart. Where did that come from? <laughs> and that I found actually incredibly useful and helpful, like building my group program. And even if like in the back of my mind, I was going, maybe you're doing too much. Maybe the course is too big. Maybe there's maybe can't, people can't get this, which of course you'll only find out once you start experimenting. But maybe you can talk us through a little bit. Like, have you have you seen that a lot? And I know you've got a course. Build, it's build build your best course, is it? What's it called? Yeah, build your best course. Build your best course. The group program. So I wondered, like, within running that and getting some feedback from that cohort or those cohorts, do you find that they identify and unpick that proprietary way that you know that you know, their methodology or even the models that they use or how they come across those results. Do you feel like that the process does help? Definitely, because to bring something into a course form, you need to make external what previously is internal. And that's actually one of those benefits, sort of hidden benefits that I alluded to at the start, because I have definitely found people that said, you know what, that just... (laughs) I realized that I do have an innate structure, but I'd never really externalized it. And now I can use it more in my one-to-one sessions because I'm more conscious of what I'm doing. So I think there are, it's a brilliant way to really make concrete what you do. And also to find those areas where maybe you don't have a process yet. You think you do, but what one-to-one is great at, or just personal service delivery is that, If you have gaps, you can fill them instinctively in the moment, but sometimes people don't realize that they're doing that with every client. And so if we're helping, if I'm helping somebody design a course or we're working through a curriculum, I'll say, well, how do they cross that step? How do they get over that hurdle? And say, oh, well, I think I just talked them through it. Okay, well, what do you, what are the options? How do you talk them through it? And a lot of people find that just super valuable and they start to see what they do as a process rather just as something that they kind of consistently pull out of their head and it works. Mm, I like that. And I think, I don't know if you agree, but I think that really resonates very well with knowledge workers. So subject matter experts, people who they do all their, their, their intellect and their knowledge of how they actually help and serve people and how they transform, you know, transform the outcomes for their clients or, you know, carry through that solution. It's all locked up in their head. So this kind of process of having to like draw that all out and put it into video or exercises or models or frameworks it suits subject matter experts really well i think it does and it goes back to that old saying about if you really want to understand something try teaching it and Mm. it it forces you to bring out that the, the specifics you can't rely on instinct anymore because you're not in the room when they're watching your course videos yeah and i think i really had to I had to really take, and this is just from my personal experience of having to, I, I did end up building more models and little mini models, you know, like where you go, okay, we're going to solve this problem, but we're going to do it in this way. And I thought, oh, heck, on, there's a little acronym there. I could use that. Or maybe if we used a triangle and a square together, that might, for me, that was really, I'm quite visual anyway, but I thought it really helped because I'm also quite wordy. It would help to balance out all the words and also gave my 
participants crib sheets so you could teach them the knowledge and then all they had to do is look at the diagram and they'd realize almost like you know in a coaching program you'd learn about the drama triangle right everybody once they've done a coaching you know some kind of coaching they'll learn about a drama triangle but as soon as you see that drama triangle they go oh yes I know what the three points are and I know where I'm sitting in that triangle I need to get out of the triangle Almost like for my subjects and what my topic was within my program, I kind of almost ended up with those little things as well, which also helped the teaching. I think that's at the heart of any good, good, sorry to interrupt. No, 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 carry on. Any good, any good course of those little frameworks and and models. I think before I started trying to teach the art of course creation, if you like, I didn't fully appreciate I basically was trying to tell people as much truth as about the process and on all of the the complexity of it and then I realized actually my job is to to simplify it in a way that's kind of 80% true and works for most people and that's what people really value they they don't want me to tell them everything I've learned they want the kind of the crib sheet the the you know the cliff notes version and so i like you've mentioned i come up with these little models like there are only basically four types of course i say you know there's yes. a like a, a mini course a hybrid course a signature course and a like a solution in a box course is that true no but if you act like it's true it's really useful and it cuts through a lot of complexity and it helps most people get where they need to go so i see a course as a collection of those little frameworks or models put together in a in a way that you're just walking people through and allowing them to absorb it in an engaging and effective way Mm. And I think it's uh, an important part of, and I know you've listened to my subject matter expert um, manifesto, but it, but it's when you're trying to do that course, it's actually trying to do exactly what I say in that episode, and that's meeting, you know, meeting that student or learner or participant in your program or your course, meeting them where they are, instead of flooding them with all of your value and all of your knowledge, because actually all you end up doing is completely overwhelming them and go, oh my god, this is just not for me, you know. It's always that there's that tension between giving them enough to proceed, but not so much that it would overwhelm them. Similar with like membership programs. Most people dump out of membership programs, not because you're not giving them enough value, because you're giving them too, too much, much value. They just got overwhelmed, freaked out, and then they go, yeah, I need to turn this off for a while. Yeah. Same with a course. But with a course, they'll just drop out and they won't come back. They may even refund. So do you have on that, like you've just mentioned that now, do you have any statistics? And I know that from from before you went into doing this for yourself, you've had quite a bit of experience with, with others on the, the usefulness of talk, working with others who are selling things on such a degree as the data, right? <laughs> is, is, is knowing things in big numbers because for us normal human beings on the ground, <laughs> when we're selling seats on our programs or you know using our hybrid solutions, we're talking much smaller numbers and the trends aren't as massively visible, right? So from from your experience from before or even now during your work that you're doing now, what would you say the percentages of people who end up actually buying programs and then not doing them? Do you know that there's a statistic Yeah, percentages are really, really uh, tough because it sometimes it's really difficult to tell. Sometimes it differs from niche to niche. There, are, I, Let me tell you what I know. I know that there are some people who like buying digital programs it's like people who have the bookshelf and they never read the books but they don't regret buying the books they like it on the shelf maybe they'll need it one day maybe they just like the look of it on the shelf so as a course creator it's it's easy to feel bad about those people they're not getting into my program they're not getting the value but actually you talk to them 
they they love you know they love that purchase they love the fact that it's there and why not sell to those people they're a small group but i would say maybe 10%, 20% are, are sort of fall into that category. You then have people who start with every intention of getting right to the end of the program. And they really want the result that you've promised. They're not just curious about the result, they want the result. And they they, they come into the course sort of all guns blazing. They, they work really hard and then they lose steam, either because the result is hard to get or maybe the course isn't quite as good as it should be and some of the... The, the gaps are too too large, but they get to the end. I've talked to numerous of these students where they're still really glad they bought the course because what you did is you made them better understand what it takes to do that thing. Um, the last company I worked for, we had a, a, a it was a cheesily named course, but it, it really worked well, called Freedom Machine. It was this idea of building a blog, passive income, all of those sorts of things. And it was a really good course, but the journey it took them on was a tough journey. You're building up an audience, building up a blog, learning how to monetize a blog, learning all different strategies for, for, for getting traffic and all of that. And it was probably a year long journey, but lots of people who didn't quite get to that endpoint loved the course and really wouldn't take their money back if you offered it to them because they learned so much through that journey. And then you have the people who have the eye on the result, they're willing to do the work and they get all the way to the end. And I, Sadly, that is in a minority. I don't have a statistic. I would guess five, ten percent, something like that. But really, if if it's a if it's a, a mass, you know, if it's it's a big program, if it's a if it's a guided small group program, then the the results are going to be a lot better. But they get through to that that end point, and they are obviously your ideal students. But they're not. They don't always look like that from the start. They're often the people that start slow don't raise their hand very much. You don't see much of them, but they are just pushing ahead and they are doing the work. And that's that's what's required. Is there anything that we can do as as course creators? Because I'm I'm <laughs> resonating with all of those different levels yeah, right, um, <laughs> of students. I I'm a student that, you know, I would probably finish the program to the end. So I, from my aspect, because I, I wouldn't, I'm just a, a, a waster. So I would see it as a waste of money if I, do you know what I mean? I would, I'm not going to yeah. pay the money and not do the work. So so for me, it's always a commitment thing, but I'm finding it incredibly difficult as a, you know, leader of a program is to, <laughs> to not cry because people don't actually do all the work. And I know it's not me because it is them and it is their choice, but what are the kinds of things that we can do you know, to try and support participants through a program so they don't lose steam. I mean, is there yeah, anything great, we can do? Yeah, great question. Do? Well, there's a combination of things. Some of it are course-based. And one of the things, we, going back to your question about stats that we that was able to do in the previous role with the volume of students, was you had that you could see who completed each lesson. And we ran some numbers to see between which two lessons or assignments was there the greatest drop-off in completion. Okay. And then that allows you to see where people are getting stuck. And that often means just breaking an assignment up into two pieces or inserting an extra lesson. So you can see where they're struggling and then try and fill the gaps. But that's just one piece of it. I think the other piece of it is to try and create that accountability through some kind of group program. Like I, I, I like to say that a lot of people don't create a course if they want to because it's important but it never feels urgent and i think once you're inside a program you need to find a way of creating sort of 
mini pockets of urgency. Now that might be a weekly call where you just very gently say to somebody, okay, what did you do last week? Um, what, are, what are you aiming to get done for next week? And just create that environment for them. Or it could be with some of these bigger signature programs, they actually have one-to-one co- you know, progress coaching if you like with with somebody in the program but that that's for a much that's where you've got a whole team running your program mm-hmm. but it, i think it's it's a multifaceted thing yeah so uh, it was interesting because i did for for my first cohort just as a test um and you could probably share if you want how you felt on your first cohort as well but for my first cohort i did have the live calls every week i thought i'd been as as much because you know it's difficult to know how long it's going to take people to do stuff because I'll work at a rate of knots, right? So I have to literally <laughs> divide everything almost by half, you know, if not uh, more, in order to, it's like any normal person would be able to, because bearing in mind I've been doing this for a long time. So for me, like my practice skills are in there, you know, so I can do something really quickly. But I've got to think, well, this person has to grasp the concept first make it relevant to themselves and then actually complete the exercise. Now I can help with all of that within the video and within the exercise. But what I did do is also created like a, a program time frame for them. So even though I say it's X amount of weeks for the full program, what I did was break down things per module per lesson and go, this is how long the videos are. This is how long roundabout right. it should take you to do exercises. So I kind of gave that in the beginning. <laughs> but one of the feedbacks from it, and I got a really lovely super fan friend, Claire, I'm going to have to get her onto the show. Claire Short, she runs an um, a osteopathic clinic and she's obsessed with avatars, right? So she's amazing to have right. inside the groups. So, and not the blue people, everybody, the ideal client avatars, right? <laughs> and she said to me, Shelley, you were not strict enough. I was like, what? I said, I can't be strict. It's the first cohort. She says, no, but... You know, people actually almost need to have a little bit of not fear in them. But, you know, when a teacher's got to check on you and go, have you done your homework? You know, it's that element of, oh, crap, I do actually need to do something in order to get somewhere, in order to progress and actually be a part of the calls as well. So I kind of took that feedback into the second one. I still don't want to be the strict teacher. Still have those frameworks. Because you've got to be careful in that first one as well, don't you? That first cohort. What was your experience in your first beta? Yeah, well, what I did was, this was, uh, I think, a, a good move by accident in a way, is I, I hired somebody that was worked with before just to help me with the admin, and she was very good at keeping track of people. So in a way, I deferred being the bad guy. <laughs> so my attitude was kind of like, <laughs> well, people are at where they're at. I'm curious where you're at, but no judgment. Whereas she was much more, okay, you know, this is where you are compared to everybody else. And I think that kind of public wouldn't say accountability but just the visibility is good and we actually the second cohort i went into it feeling slightly sensitive to that and i said look just let us know whether you want public or private kind of visibility on things it's our job to tell you where you are i say this we have two responsibilities at minimum kind of telling them where they are in the program from our perspective because sometimes they think they're further along they've done the lessons but they haven't done the work Uh, And the next one is uh, if you're on a schedule, which you often are on a cohort, where you think they should be, (laughs) and then they could read into the gap between where they are and and where they should be. Or you can, you can, you can, you know, put a flame under their feet a little bit more. But if you don't at least tell them where you think they are and where they should be, they're going to struggle to even maintain their own progress. Yeah. So that's one way I've I've done it, but it is something I struggle with a little bit because some people are turned off by that sort of schoolmasterly 
um, you said you'd do this, why haven't you done this? And it is quite difficult to do artfully, I think. And I, and I would hope that people who are potentially not great at accountability or what that would have either put their hands up right in the beginning and say, look, I'm going to need a buddy. I created a buddy system for the second cohort as well. So I didn't have to be a part of everything. So it was almost That's like, good. okay, this is participant led. Why don't you break into groups of three or four? We didn't have a massive cohort at all. So it's like you decide and if you want to do it, then you, then have some little accountability sessions between you guys, between the calls. So we did that as well. But I do think I've got to, I've got to stop the motherly instinct as well to a degree and go, look, I've put all the frameworks in place. I've put quite a bit of accountability in place, you know. So it's just for anybody listening is trying to not get too attached to the end result for all of them. The other thing I did try, actually, Glenn, was <laughs> you're probably going to moan at me for doing this as a course, as a course <laughs> creator. In the second one, I was, like, really curious. So while people do the lessons, right, and they do the exercises, I never really know what the quality of that output is, right? So they might think, oh, it's fantastic. But a lot of what I'm teaching is for you to make a lot of micro decisions about your positioning as an entrepreneur through the lens of your, you know, your brand strategy and therefore into your marketing. So uh, what I did in the second cohort is there's one big massive document, kind of that whole like time of the program, you're basically trying to input into this document. So I got to week whatever it was and thought, right, you guys should be around 50 to 60% through, you know, anybody who wants my feedback, to be fair, I did ask. Anybody who wants my feedback or input, you know, pop pop one of those into our Dropbox folder. And then what I, and what I did do, I don't know what you think about this, but what I did do is then I said to them all, I did get permission. I said, look, what I'll do is I'll bring it up on screen. And as I'm kind of working through it in terms of me giving feedback, I'm, I'll record all of that. So I recorded it all and then I then I shared it uh, as well and again got permission so everybody's happy for me to share that and I did that and actually they all really loved that. But is that too is that too time consuming? Should I not be doing stuff like that? I've done exactly the same thing. I think it's really powerful but it does depend where you are in your course development. So where I am with my main program is I've got a third cohort coming up and I'm still looking for that feedback so if, if i have to spend like for instance one thing i'll go that do sometimes that goes even further than what you're doing is if someone's really stuck on something then i might have uh, uh, like for instance curriculum creation is something that people struggle with just that design process to, to yeah. curriculum and i will get on a call with them and i will there's a tool that i recommend we use and i will go through it interactively and i'll move things around and i'll and i'll work with them like i would as a one-to-one -one client because i know that that's probably the biggest hurdle and if i can get them across that that's great but i'll also learn what needs to go into the next yes. version of my course material so that i yes. don't have to do that and that's kind of how i promote the early stages of a course i'll actually say yeah. i'm going to do help you in ways that you would normally have to be a one-to-one -one coaching client to get and i won't do that on everything but maybe for each person i'll do that once or twice within like a 12-week program because i learn a lot through doing that that was kind of my angle on it because i think if i can't actually see how they're digesting what it is I'm teaching and then how they're actually inputting that into their exercises or whatever the output is. I don't know because what I really hate from feedback, I don't know about you, is that, <laughs> oh, it's so lovely. It was so great. I'm like, okay, that's nice. But can you be really yeah. specific? <laughs> it's like, was there something you got stuck on? And I think because the course is quite big, the program's quite big, maybe if they did get stuck, they, they've forgotten about it. 
because they overcame it later on. I mean, that was a different thing with the, my very first cohort. The deal was very much, I'm going to give you a lot of value here, but you're going to give me a lot of feedback in response. And I think I went overboard because like every lesson had a little feedback for me. Oh, you were telling me. Amazing. I got like 68 pages of feedback. Some of it was in, immensely valuable. And to be fair to me, I did tell people on a Zoom call before yes. they even yes. signed up that this was going to be what was involved. But, but halfway through the course, I did sense that people were getting feedback fatigue. But I, it is about the questions you are. And I would say, what did you like? What do you like best about this lesson? Because I think people always want to tell you something nice. Uh, but then immediately go into, I think, and say, what, what one thing should I add, remove, or change to make this lesson even better? So it's really directing the feedback that you want because it's the negative stuff that you can actually do something with. Yeah, so I think a lot of the stuff that you've talked about throughout our conversation now is is also highly dependent on you choosing the right tools, right? So I know you use Podia at the moment for what it is yeah. that you advise people through the course program, and you've also you've become a Podia expert. Is that right? Is it on their website or through a podcast? I'm, I'm a Podia Pro educator, which just basically means they give me some advance warning of new features. They're, they're, they're rolling some new features out at the moment. It means I, I get to play with the latest sort of toys for free. And it just means I can guide the direction a little bit because as much as I like the platform, that can give feedback. Anything, there are things that, yeah, there's yeah. things I want them to do. Yeah. Which, I mean, to be fair, every learning platform, especially the growing ones that are trying to challenge the big guys of Kajabi and Teachable and all and Thinkific and all of those lot, you know, they're, they're all in growth space in varying degrees, aren't they? So you can't get one thing that's going to do absolutely everything perfectly. Um, you've got to find something that's going to you, do the right things can't. for you, isn't it? And you can drive yourself crazy trying to find it. I always say pick, like, if there's one feature that it really must have, like some people really need to issue certificates automatically or something like that, pick the most obscure but most important feature that you want and use that to filter all of the platforms and then just pick, like, the best one based on that, on what's left. Gosh, I've really enjoyed this, Dan, and I feel like we could have just gone on forever. I haven't even spoken about the subject matter experts. I can talk about this stuff for ages, so that's fine. Before we close, a really quick thing is you you said you'd give me a little bit of feedback on the term subject matter expert and the start of my manifesto on episode 17. What did you think? Like, what sat with you after listening to that? I think that, I mean, first of all, we were saying before the call, I think you... It's great that you're just jumping on this term because it's 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 a concept that's been around for a long time and there's not really a good name for it. And why not make this the the, the name? And I, I love the, how personal brand is so tied up in that because it plays so well into what we're all struggling with with AI at the at the moment. Yes. So this whole idea that you as an individual can become known for not just being an expert in a a topic, but having this unique approach to making, getting results within that topic. I, I mean, when I listened to that episode, it really made me think a couple of things about how I'm positioning myself, but it's it's just so important, I think, to be the human face of a, uh, of a particular type of solution, um, really owning and knowing your topic, because there are so many people out there who say they're an expert, you know, I'm a specialist in this, an expert, I'm a guru, I'm this or that. It's like, well, well, are you? I mean, if you did, you'd probably have written a book or create, I'd say, created a course. <laughs> so I, th- yeah. <laughs> but I do say like, I think a course is a new, is the new book in the sense if I go on your website and I see you've got a fully fledged course, then that is 
to me shows that you've at the very least you're committed to that topic that you've really invested some time in that yeah 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 so i love that the fusion of personal brand owning a topic saying i do this i don't do that i think is awesome i love it yes i i I mean i really agree with that and i think again like through the feedback i've had from people is you you're only really truly an expert if other people are actually pointing to you and saying that you are an expert you cannot be a self-professed expert as well so there is that element of third degree credibility isn't it absolutely it's that idea of the branding like brand is what people think of you branding is is what you do to try and influence what what people think of you and i think it's the same thing with with being an authority or subject matter expert it's much better if other people are saying that about you and just just stop saying it about yourself yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. I think we'll have to bring the episode to a close, Glenn. I really, really enjoy the way you approach your work. So, um, and also the way you think about these things, as you know. So, if anybody listening would like to learn a bit more about you or the work that they uh, that you do, where can they find you? Just uh, it's my name. Just go to www.glennlong. So that's G L E N L O N G dot com, and you can sign up to buy a newsletter. I've got a free course that you can go through with some video resources, uh, and I'm also have a new cohort of my Build Your Best Course program coming up in September. September, excellent. Oh, so does mine. So we can be we can be course program buddies excellent. in September. <laughs> cohort buddies. Cohort buddies. Yes. Um, and where is the best place to communicate with you in terms of socials? What do you? Th- uh, LinkedIn is my is, is LinkedIn my, your yeah, favorite. My favorite. Yeah, definitely. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining me today for the conversation and sharing how you dig into this important area for clients. I feel like your particular genius is very much needed today, especially when there's this plethora of experts on the interwebs completely confusing the topic for many people. How you think about things and approach the subject is much more understandable and accessible to the people listening today. Thank you. And that's it for this episode, folks. Thank you so much for joining us. Did that help to see something possible for yourself now? Is there perhaps a flicker of acknowledgement in you somewhere that recognizes a way where you could possibly not only capture your knowledge in a tangible way, but also one that may well leverage your time better over the long term? Improve your profitability, maybe, and even release some much needed freedom. Who do you know that could do with hearing this conversation and Glenn's insights? Share this episode. Go on. You know you want to. Until next time, stay strong, believe you have value and make good brand decisions. Thank you for listening to The Brand Compass. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to share it with your entrepreneurial friends and help them make good brand decisions. Until next time, let's keep the conversation going at ShellyRosland.com.